0: This is Content Content, a bi-monthly podcast featuring the people behind the content. I'm Ed Marsh. Today's guest is Rahel Bailey, who is a very big hero of mine. And hopefully over the course of the next hour, you'll find out just why. Um, She literally wrote the book on content strategy with Nazar Abina, which was probably one of the most highly highlighted books I've ever uh, I've ever read. So, uh, you know, Rahel has been a big influence to, I think, lots of us in the tech com and content strategy world. Um, and I am just thrilled to finally get to have her on my podcast. So uh, I'm sorry if I talk a little excitedly and a little faster than normal, but it's a, it's a great treat to be here with Rahel. And thank you so much for uh, finally taking the time to join me, Rahel. Oh, my pleasure to be
1: here, Ed. And um you know, I wondered what took you so long to invite me, so oh, I'm glad I'm on your yeah. list.
0: <laughs> well, you know, Naz actually reached out and was like, when is, you know, Nazarbina, your co-author and friend, um, was like, oh, when am I going to be on the podcast? And of course, he was on my wish list, too. But, um, you know, when you're someone that, you know, is a hero of mine, I wanted to make sure that um, I wanted to I wanted to have this right before I finally talk to you. So, um, I'm you know, so it only took me six years to get up the courage. Uh, <laughs> just, just. Just pulling your leg.
1: I'm delighted to be here.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. So um, so Rahel, you have a long history in uh, technical communications and content strategy. Um, you actually wrote a, a very long tome called An Uneven History of Content Strategy, which I'd love to talk about as well. Um, but why don't you start a little bit sure. with us and tell us, you know, how you got where you are. I'm sure you have a very interesting story.
1: <laughs> um, I don't know how interesting it is, but it's it's a little bit meandering. So it's um, <laughs> about like right. the uneven history of content strategy. This is the uneven history of my career. Um, I think after a number of years of working at things that I really hated working at, I it dawned on me that there must be jobs where they pay you to work with words. And because <laughs> I came from a very kind of poor rural background. This was n- nothing that someone told you, like you could get paid to write, you could get <laughs> paid to work with words. And so I, I started off as a, a, a proofreader with um, Philips Electronics and quickly ended up doing kind of production management because they were using some um, desktop publishing um, software when it was very new and, um, and, and avant-garde and uh i figured out a way to reduce production time by something like 75 percent, and they were uh blown away by it and and so you know that kind of it, that was good <laughs> that was a good thing for them uh so um I just kind of continued looking for jobs that where I could work with content and as I went along I realized that there was this thing called the STC and I joined the STC and Mm -hmm. next thing you know I'm presenting and I'm I'm going to conferences and I'm learning and then I when I'm learning how much I don't know I want to learn Mm -hmm. more and more things so then I start um, taking courses and then I start teaching in the program (laughs) and i'm taking more courses and i'm um you know it it just eventually your body of knowledge grows but also what i did which i don't think a lot of people um would have related to certainly not at the time was that you can't just become an expert in your field and be successful at it you need to look at all the kind of adjacent fields so i would work with business analysts so i went to we didn't call them meetups back then but we had these meetups basically and so i would go to the mm-hmm. va meetup and learn what do you do and what's the vocabulary that you use and how do you do what you do and how complicated is it and then i would go and um i went to the you know, local um Kind of women writing code meet up and I learned to do a little bit of JavaScript and a little bit of, you know, various things over there. And I went to project management meetups and and I tried to learn a little bit about everybody that I needed to work with and it helped me adopt some of their methodology and incorporate it into what i was doing it helped me understand Mm -hmm. what they were doing and why they were doing it and it helped me develop that um, translation ability to translate what i was doing into their metier their their body of work so i started for example this is one very effective example is when I would have to present to a technical bunch of engineers, let's say at a prospective client, I would talk about object oriented content because I knew that they understood object oriented Mm. code. So I'd say like, or uh, if we do object oriented content, it'll give you these and these benefits and they'd go, Oh yeah, it's about time that, you know, content caught up with code. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have the heart to tell them, (laughs) don't worry, we've been along around for a long time, but it was vocabulary that they could relate to. So when I would talk to business analysts, I would talk about, you know, business process engineering and how we would do it with content, content process engineering and, and so on. So uh, all of those things kind of came together. And for me, efficiency was the driver. At some point I worked for Intel. And I had this boss who was like, bless her, not a big picture thinker. And I don't know how she got promoted, but she went from like senior writer to manager to director, and she didn't know how to direct. So, (laughs) so, you know, when people are above uh, when they get, um, promoted above their level. So instead of looking forward mm. and outward, like directionally, where should we be going? She was looking inward and, and you know, mm. proofreading everybody's stuff and mucking around and breaking the style sheets and all this kind of stuff. And it was really um, not very efficient. And so I was working in the um, professional services division where we would basically provide, you know, a chunk of code and and a document to go with it to explain the code and that was the deliverable so you know the document that went with it was quite important it had to be and it was just done so manually and we would actually fedex paper sheets of <laughs> an envelope of sheets of paper back and forth between i was one of two people in the vancouver office and everybody else was in los angeles and um this was actually pre-intel before no 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 it was I think Intel had already bought us by then. And so um, we um, were sending these things back and forth and I thought there's gotta be a better way. This is so not efficient. <laughs> I spend all my Friday morning just filing and then putting stuff in envelopes and FedExing it. And now when we're going to open an office in Bangalore, now what? And so um, I went to <laughs> the my internal client who is the head of professional services and said, You know can we do this and this and this instead and he went oh that's so brilliant and oh you guys are tracking this because i track this manually every month i didn't realize you had this stuff because it wasn't online it wasn't single sourced it wasn't available to everybody so um i said well you know if you can write this code for me maybe we can he said oh you want a content management system and i went if that's what you call it okay so this is back in like (laughs) 1999 right or 2000 somewhere around there and i thought oh that's what you call these things and then i started seeing other examples at conferences about managing content in these really interesting ways and i just thought this is so much more efficient because of course i have add i can't understand how people without add get anything done because i was the master of, of multitasking and I just thought, oh, this really is this really speaks to my need for efficiency. I don't want to do this over and over and over again. I want to do better things. So where my boss was thinking, oh, if you do this single sourcing thing, we're just going to be glorified proofreaders, you know, whoa, 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 Crimea River. And I was going like, No, no, no. We don't have to edit the same code descriptions over and over and over again. We can do more thinking stuff, more value add stuff. Let's go do it. So um, that didn't last long because as a director, she got to lay me off, So which she did, because you know <laughs> when you have a threat, what do you do? You get rid of her. And so uh, I went sure. to a career <laughs> management company who turned around and said like, you are way, working way so below your level, You know, you just need like a self-esteem boost. You should be. You should be the director, <laughs> or and this was right during that the first uh, dot com bubble, right? And they just said you should be at a director level, or you should be running your own company. And Vancouver being um, this kind of um, you know extension of Silicon Valley, it's like the nearshoring. <laughs> All the companies in that bubble were closing their Vancouver offices, so everyone was out of work. And I thought, I'm not going to be able to compete with these people who are already managers or directors and they're out of work and looking. So I'm going mm. to go into business for myself and took an entrepreneurial course and, um, uh, you know, got an award for, um, you know, kind of like top business uh, of the year or something like that. I can't even remember what it is now, but I uh, got some sort of a, an award for my participation in the entrepreneurial class. And they just went, yeah, you're, you're completely suited to this. And then I, you know, consulted for the next um, fifteen years, and it really was um, that kind of uh, thing where, when you're working there, they won't listen to you, but when you're the consultant, you come in and give them advice, and they listen to you. <laughs> Which always kind of tickled me. But, Have you put a uh, high yeah, school
0: marching band it by also, chance?
1: No. <laughs> I was a
0: part time a part-time marching band teacher for 14 years. And the same thing, like the kids uh, would, would tell the you kids go. something. But then, if someone else came in, a consultant was like, oh, you know, you should be doing this. Of course, they do it. So <laughs> there's a parallel. There. Yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Very much so. Um, but, you know, the kind of the beauty of consulting is that you are exposed to so many different um problems and so many different circumstances and so many different um teams that bring all different levels of expertise. So I learned so much about mm. how code worked and what you could automate and how you could do something better and faster um because you would work with their teams to make this happen. And so it was really very interesting for me as well as valuable for them because I was bringing um these ideas to them that they had no clue about because you know everyone says like oh content is king but it's not they don't treat it like king like a king they treat it like cinderella before the you know when she's sweeping the hearth and so um they didn't realize that there were other ways to produce software uh sorry uh content that was better and more efficient and uh, that you could systemize it and that you could create a gap analysis that would actually um, you know, involve content. So you weren't doing financial turnarounds, you're doing content turnarounds. And, and so, you know, it it worked for me and I think it worked for my clients. All my clients seemed to be uh, very happy by the time I left. Um, and then eventually I came to the UK where, you know, in the U- North America, everyone would kind of know me at, at a conference and, you know, oh, hi Rahel, hi Rahel. And you come up to the UK and they go, who are you? You're that foreigner. <laughs> oh, wow. So had to start building my reputation all over again, yeah, yeah, it took me uh, a number of years to um, build up the the kind of reputation that I had in in North America, so it was um you yeah, know it's a humbling experience. you know, I might be uh, a little bit um uh, kind of uh, famous in in the in the content strategy circle, but it's not like I get free coffee at Starbucks. Like, I get really done not
0: translate <laughs> <laughs> oh well, darn! I'm just going to stop now because you know I was looking for that free coffee all this time, and yet that's what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's you know that's awesome, and I know it's a co crazy that you've been. You know, you lived in North America, you lived in Canada, you lived in. Did you live in the states? No, but I I spent okay. many years.
1: um on a TN visa going back and forth to, okay. to various American cities. I think I've been in almost, uh, I think, 48 out of the 50 states um, for some reason or other.
0: <laughs> wow, wow. I've lived here all my life and I haven't been to all the 50 states. Actually, I probably don't even want to, but that's a different story. Um, but yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I mean, your whole career has been like leaning up to this time now where, you know before things were called content management systems now we have a whole thing called content ops or in my my firm we're calling it doc ops so it's great i mean your whole yeah. it sounds like your entire career has been and your search for efficiency and i appreciate that because I'm, i I love efficiency and now i'm wondering maybe if i have add but um you know i it just i mean it's, it's just amazing how the, your entire career has kind of led to this moment where doc ops is finally getting a chance to shine And I feel like people like you and people like me and people in our field have been pushing for this forever. And it feels like I don't know if this is the moment or it's just been all it's the culmination of a lot of moments. So it's just it's interesting to see how how it's all come to this point.
1: I'll tell you something. I was looking back because of Dean Barker. So Dean Barker said something about having um, used the word content operations like. 12 years ago or 14 years ago or something. And I started looking back at how long has it been since I used the word content operations. And I came across a slide deck of mine or an article of mine from like 15 years ago where I was talking about content operations, but nobody really that like that term didn't really land. It's just kind of like blah, 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 content, blah, blah. Right. And when when people started talking about DevOps, design ops, AI ops, all these other ops, research ops, then you can say content ops and they go, oh, content operations is like DevOps, right? Content ops is like DevOps. I get DevOps. Therefore I get content ops. So it's taken a long time or it feels like a long time in in terms of a person's lifetime, (laughs) but you know, it's not a long time in terms of an industry. So I remember when usability the term usability started getting used like, you know, in the the mid 1990s. And um, and then this, you know, this UX profession kind of grew out of that and so on. And now it's user experience. And so I watched how this like little slice of let's test things to make sure they actually work grow into this entire industry. And that took what, 20 years, 25 years. And so we've got that same thing going on with content ops, you know, it's, it's, it's going to take time, Mm -hmm. but yeah, everything that I did kind of led up to this. So even content strategy, I started to realize that, and I've been saying this for maybe four or five years is that the strategy part and the implementation part are two different things. So when everybody talks about doing a content strategy, they're talking about the implementation part. And that's not the strategy. Mm-hmm. So if you were to go to KPMG and ask for a strategist and they're doing something like financial, they're planning your, you know, they're, they're doing the financial turnaround. They're not sitting down and entering stuff into your, into your accounting system. That's somebody else, <laughs> right? And so this kind of the same thing. When somebody calls in a strategist, they want a strategy. They don't want someone who's gonna sit down and write. They've got writers for that. And whether they're ux writers or marketing writers or tech writers or whoever it is you know they've got people doing that they've got content designers doing that content design and content strategy are not the same thing and so um when i was doing content strategy it's like i'm making a strategy so what is my strategy for efficiency so it's operational efficiency Mm -hmm. that that my strategy is so i'm not doing an editorial strategy or a social media strategy or a, a content marketing strategy i'm doing a content operation strategy. And I think that was the missing piece all along as we would say content strategy. And we know that it's a strategy, but what kind of strategy? So you always need a modifier in there. And so the corporate co- content operation strategy just wasn't the thing. It was never on anyone's radar. It was what like Anne Rockley is a content strategist, but she's also an operational strategist when you think about it, because she doesn't care what's inside the tag, she cares about how you move the tags around for efficiency. Right? And so when you think about it that way, yeah. So all, the, all this time I've been a content operations strategist, if you wanna think about it that way, or now I'm doing kind of bigger than that in, in the sense that I'm doing content and data and melding them together to push them out into wherever they need to go uh, in a multi, multi-channel, omni-channel kind of way. So, you know, if you look at that, um, the uh, knowledge management pyramid where you have data and then you add context, and then they go, it, it's information and then it's knowledge, except that they forget content in there. So if you take data and add context, it's actually content. And then you take that content and you hmm. add more context and now you get information. So data plus content now you get information and then you take that and you can turn that into knowledge So you know if, if I think about information operations is probably more what I'm doing not in the American military sense if you look on Wikipedia that's what you hear <laughs> but in the kind of in the tech sense of taking information and operationalizing it there's no reason to be typing in numbers from a data set when you can, auto-generate that data inside your content and publish mm. it. So this is kind of the next the next generation of, of content ops. And I'm, I'm loving it. I, oh, I never get tired of this field because every time I turn around, there's a new development. And now we've got machine learning and AI and, you know. Although what we're doing most, yeah, most awesome. right now is just managing people's expectations. But, I, but, are, but there.
0: I, you know, I think, this, I did, yeah, this past year, I think has really been, you know, a big test for especially communications, because people are working remotely, and they don't have that knowledge share that they used to, where you used to go to the person next to you, or the person down the hall has been there 10 years, because there is no down the hall anymore. So I really think that, you know, yeah, it's been it's been good for us in that regard, because it really gave us a chance to shine. But it's interesting, I think, too, because a year ago today, I left my job in my prior division at the same firm uh, and was supposed to start mm-hmm. on Monday with my new team, which is in the engineering department. I was in—I went from a client-facing, like a user-facing role to a content ops mm-hmm. developer-facing role. So I think, you know, I, wow, yeah, I, and I think it's really more of a, I feel like I am appreciated more in this space because it seems like engineers are now looking for documentation or like really disappointed when there's not documentation. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm, I've, you know, I feel like I've been improving. My, my confidence has improved. So in like people are like, yeah, we really love these docs. We need docs. This is fantastic. Thank God you guys are here. And it's great because I went from a team of me and one other person to a team of now 14, I think, and growing. So. You know, there's, wow. there's buy-in, yeah, well, buy right. from senior management. It's actually, it's, it's honestly, it's really refreshing because at one prior role, I was called a necessary evil. So to be, you know, to be wow. oh, is wonderful. Yeah. So, um, you know, so I will say that was prior to my role <laughs> yeah, well, at the firm. Now, so that was a different job completely.
1: <laughs> and I, I hear so many horror stories about companies that. Um, So I I did some mentoring of a few people in the industry and, you know, we we kept it very um, uh, confidential as as it should be. Mm. But I would hear these stories about companies that, you know, they're huge companies, they have huge content challenges and, you know, marketing wants to solve it in their way. And, of course, they don't know about these things. And so they try to um solve it in some sort of um you know we'll just outsource it to more agencies we're just going to throw more marketing verbiage mm. at it and it's going to fix it it's like no 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 <laughs> so what you're finding is because everything is so hyper connected now that all this documentation mm. is how developers understand how to connect these systems together and they can't connect the systems together mm-hmm. without proper documentation. And they're starting to realize like, oh, I hate documenting it, but boy, when I'm on the other end, do I ever need it? And that's where they get the pushback yeah. from these. It's like, but do we go with you or them? Well, they've got better documentation. We can implement it faster. And so we're gonna go with them. Mm-hmm. And then that's where the company wakes up and goes, oh, uh, maybe we should get our documentation in order.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly always seems like we're at the the back end of everything. Like, oh, right. We need some docs now. Let's hire a tech writer for six weeks. So yeah. <laughs> without that whole strategy part of it, it's like, oh yeah, we need docs. Okay. Let's do something about that right away. Now with no money and no budget and no no interest, but yeah. I'm a little bitter about some things, but I guess I could, one of the questions I talk, you're talking about is like, oh, you know, we have a, a content developer and a content strategist and a tech writer and all this stuff. And one of the things I've always been concerned about is, are there too many job titles for what we do? Like, especially if you're an employer, do you know if you need a content strategist or a content designer or a content engineer or a technical writer, or you just need someone, you know, I'm, I'm just confused. I'm hoping, and it always seems like, Thankfully, I've been proven wrong, but it seems like there's just many more titles. And even I don't know where I fit. Am I an information architect? Am I a tech writer? Am I content strategist? Because I'm doing a a little bit of all this stuff. But it's like, who am I? And like, who, you know, who is hiring these other people? Yeah.
1: Yeah, Well, this is what you get when you don't have a regulated industry. Okay. Right. Like, if you're a doctor, so think about the medical profession. Because, you know, I say that in in a sense, we're almost like a doctor and that we, we, um, figure out you know they tell us kind of what's wrong and we figure out you know we listen to the symptoms and we we create a diagnosis I mean that's what we do so we don't do it in medicine we do it in content but when you think about how many kinds of doctors there are like you need to know if you need to see a podiatrist or a psychiatrist or an internist or a pediatrician or a gynecologist or a, a you know a cancer specialist like you need to know Ooh. to go to the right one it's the same thing in content content used to be easy you had writers you had technical writers, you had marketing writers. Boom, done. And now you've got lots of different kinds of content. You know, when in um, the last job that I had, we had um, content designers for, uh, they were writing the the strings that went into the app. There were marketing writers that were writing marketing stuff for, you know, various things. We had conversational designers who wrote for the the voice assistant. And um, you know the the, oh, wow. the I was going to say the chatbot, but the chatbot was the, the app. You know, so we had the chatbot, but then we had conversational writers who wrote for um, the voice assistant. We had um, what well, we were trying to get and we had trouble finding tech writers to write all the API stuff. So you have all those different um, jobs for a reason. But what has not happened is that it hasn't really um aligned been aligned or defined so when we think of a content designer Mm. here in in uh, the uk the government had basically defined content designer because this is what you need to be to be a content designer for the government so if you want to get a job with the government doing content design. This is what it means and this is these are the qualifications you need to have and we have a course in it and you do it and, and now, like so it's very well defined. And so even when the industry wants content designers, they will ask for people with GDS, in other words, government digital service uh, experience because they know what that is. Now, when you say um, a UX writer, well, a UX writer used to be a tech writer. But right, when yeah. we had this kind of parallel, we had this parallel stream come along of you know like web apps and and you know that that whole thing came along. Then tech writers became people who write technical documents for hardware and so, uh, for hardware, and and for enterprise software. And then for all this web stuff, you had developers writing it. And then when they realized developers aren't very good writers, then they kind of went, okay, UX people will do it. And then when they realize that UX people aren't often good writers, then it's like, okay, now we have a UX writer. So what's the difference between what a UX writer does now and a tech writer did 15 years ago, Mm -hmm. tech writers did this exactly the same thing, but they had single sourcing software to do it in. And tech writers use Microsoft Word and Excel spreadsheets. That's the only difference. (laughs) That's, you know, to me, that's the only difference. Now, you know, they'll say, Well, a UX writer writes on brand and I kind of, you know, do the eye roll because how many useless 404 pages and useless error messages have I gotten from an on brand (laughs) experience that just drives me around the bend? I would much rather have something that says like, this is what happened. You know, this is what to do about it. Be done and I can move on. Like, I don't want to hear like cutesy things in you know where you're trying to i don't know um evoke some emotion in me i'm annoyed i'm annoyed because this went wrong and i just want you to fix it <laughs> don't try to humor me and maybe it's because i'm old and cranky now but you know that's 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 kind of my response to it it's just like oh ffs <laughs> get out of my, get out of my, out of my way so, um, yeah, I have um, on several occasions just kind of gotten to some point where there was an error, you know, logging in or trying to sign up. And there's an error and there's a cutesy mess. And I go, oh, I, can't, I, I just I'm so done. I can't be bothered. And I just like, log, you know, <laughs> let me find another. There's always another. I can I can find another.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> Well, it's funny because just this morning, Christina Halverson posted some cryptic error message on Twitter about her email account being down. It's just like, just completely unintelligible, and I'm just like, oh yeah, that's a, that's a really bad. It's just like, huh? it's not cutesy. It's just. Yeah, like, I bet it was on brand. Yeah, it's probably oh, very yeah, on brand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So are you seeing? I mean, like I said, I went from, you know, I'm not a developer facing role where we're writing docs for developers primarily. So I feel like it's, you know, it, we're uh, thankfully I'm internal, so I don't have to deal with outdoor cl- outside clients and stuff like that. But it does seem that it's that I'm respected a bit more and documentation is more important now. I felt in my last role that it was important, but we were kind of the gatekeepers because we were the team that was taking all the content that people had written in Word or was in some notes somewhere or somewhere on a network or in a confluence. And we did all that cleaning up. We converted to data. We did all the editing and stuff. But now we feel like we're now now on the flip side we are doing some writing, but we also have like a self-service model where the teams are going to be writing in Markdown and it's going to be in their GitLab repository and we just kind of pick it up and feed it into Uh our content management system. So are you seeing, I mean, how does things look to you in the world? I guess, especially because you're in a consultant now or been a consultant that, are you seeing these kind of changes in the world where docs and content operations and documentation operations are kind of picking up steam or is it just kind of like, in development only shops um that that's such a loaded question
1: um <laughs> i should say it's a loaded question it's just a, it's a complicated question because yeah. i don't think that there's uh, just like everything else everything's fragmenting yeah right? everything's fragmenting it's not like are you a, um a microsoft shop or, or a mac shop or an apple shop it's not <laughs> like a it's not a dichotomy anymore right so it's like you know do you use open source are you using zoho are you using this are you using that and so how people do workarounds depends on what what the developers happen to know how to do like i've heard people for oh six five six years now talking about keeping um content in github and you know, all of us sitting in the audience are kind of going like, that's great, but what about when you translate and how are you going to manage that that translation process? Well, we don't translate, so it's just not a problem. It's like, okay, so you're coming to this conference to tell us how you do this as some sort of a, you're touting it as a best practice, but really GitHub is for code. It's not meant for content because like content, and this is one of my, my little rants is that, you know, Developers develop this stuff and they develop it based on what they perceive as the need and so mm-hmm. if you think about what you do with data, you grade a data set, what happens to clean up the data set, you kind of rationalize it, you kind of go, okay, well, if you have to switch between, um, I don't know, Celsius and Fahrenheit, then you do this, but you round up the numbers, right? So um, you see this on recipe sites all the time. Do you want it in centigrade or in Fahrenheit? And you click the, mm. and they switch it from, you know, 174 point something to 200. And then you kind of, okay, well, we're not going to say 174.6 because that's ridiculous. So we'll say 175 degrees. So, you know, it's, it's kind of those, those kinds of things that you do with your, your database. You know, you clean it up and you rationalize it. You don't have to check it for grammar. You don't have to check it for spelling. So when you think about how database or, or how data, I guess they're data scientists, how they work with data is one thing. And they, you know, it works well with a database, but with with content, it doesn't work that way. You have other things like the way a content person works is you go into your content repository and you kind of go, okay, I have to, I have to clean up this compliance statement. Oh, where are all the, all the other compliance statements? I better check them at the same time. So what do you want to do? You want to keep your compliance statements all in one place, editable uh, preferably so that you can see maybe two of them on on the screen at the same time and you can kind of compare and you can check the grammar and you can check the spelling and you can check that all the antecedents are right and you know, all those kinds of things and you want to check where it's used. So you don't have any of that in a database. But they don't have to do that in a database. So they build the content stuff to work the way the database stuff is like, well, you want it in five different places, copy and paste. You want it in 28 different places, copy and paste, right? Because it's a database cell. So you copy, copy, copy. And so you kind of go, well, that's crazy. So why don't we use things like, you know, a CCMS, right? where you can have transclusions, and you can have content references, and you can do all these things. Well, if you don't know that it exists, you'll never ask for it. If you've never had to work in it, and you've seen the efficiencies, you won't know that that you're even missing something. So you see people trying to do things like with mail merge. They're trying to take the efficiency of a CCMS and replicate it in mail merge and I've had this this like this year where a lot of people say to me, oh, it's like it's like mail merge on steroids. I'm thinking, no, it's not. And I'm like, uh huh, <laughs> because that's what they can understand. I this thing that if, if right. you ask people how to get from from here to North America and they don't know that air travel exists, they're going to tell you about boats. And no matter what you ask them, they're going to tell you about bigger boats, smaller boats, faster boats, slower boats, ferry boats. And then you say, but there's this thing called a plane and it'll get you there so much faster and you fly through the air and they look at you really confused and then they go, well, there's this thing called a yacht and it's a big boat. (laughs) And you think, oh God, (laughs) they just, they don't get it, right? And so you have this with content where you try to explain, you don't have to do this. You don't have to be in pain all the time. You don't have to copy and paste. You don't have to have 99 spreadsheets to track all your content because they've hard coded it in there and they put it in some, I don't know, GitHub and theirs is in Zendesk and theirs is in wherever. And it's all over the friggin' place in 20 different places and you're tracking it in a spreadsheet like that is not a good operational system. But you don't have to be in that kind of pain. There's this other way of doing it, and and, they're, um, and, some places are doing it, and some places will go, oh, XML, that's old. Don't you have anything, like, cool and hip and trendy? Can't we do, and then they'll name some cool company, and uh, can't, can't we do it like they do it? And what they don't realize is because I'm well-connected in the industry that, you know, in the last six months, somebody from that company has called me and said, hi, can, we, can I just ask you a question? Because content is a shit show at our place and it's so bad and we don't know what to do. And uh, can we talk? And so they're asking, you know, this company is coming to me because they're in pain. And you know, this other company is going, well, they're really cool. They've got, you know, they're hip and trendy. Can't we do it like them? As if being hip and trendy suddenly means that you're a content operations specialist. <laughs> and it's kind of a funny, you know. You have to admit it's well, kind of funny, but uh, you know, I sit in the middle and 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 try to explain to people why why doing it that way just isn't going to work. And unless you've experienced the pain, you don't get it. You don't get it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I. Uh... My last role I was in DITA and I implemented DITA there, which was great. And I just, the thing I miss the most about DITA I yeah. think is reuse and the, you know, the concept of components where, you know, it's, you're reusing stuff and links. And exactly. Just, that, that I miss that part of it. Other than that, I don't, I mean, I miss oxygen because I think oxygen is a great tool uh, and I'll plug them forever, even if I'm not using it. But, uh, you know, I miss that part of it, <laughs> but I miss... I don't miss being like the gatekeeper and like, you know, all the conversion and all that stuff, which is really nice. You know, I don't miss right. that part of it, even though, you know, we're doing some conversion out of confluence to get stuff out of confluence because it's confluence. Right. But I, you know, but I like, I yes. like the other parts of it, like putting it all together and having it come together, especially with the metadata. And that's what I'm trying to bring um bring to the team that they didn't really have before it was like this whole sense of metadata and what we could do with it. And now they're now that they've seen the power of it, now we have components in the React our developers are saying okay based on this we could put this component here and this component to here so and even just to use a template in the metadata they're like this is great so you know there's been that
1: exactly the lights going exactly on, like, Holy cow.
0: and now i'm doing the schema.org stuff as well so that way you know if we do chat bots or whatever yeah it's like okay you know and people are like oh this is really great thank you you know it's, it's like it's like light bulbs going off for so people like we could do this with this stuff with just content i'm like yeah that's how it works now so it's uh you know, it's been, it's been a lot of fun doing that. So, And even now, we actually took, well, I, we took a style guide, and now we have it as in a, a linter called Vale, V-A-L-E. So our style guide, so word choices are right there in in your authoring tool that, you know, if you're using VS Code, it's like, okay, hello. instead of this, like, and it, it's interactive. It's not like you have to go to a style guide over here or find it or know where it is. It's right exactly. there in the tool, which is
1: awesome. Exactly. So you're doing content operations. You're doing it in, in a way that just, it's music to my ears. So thank you. I should be thanking you for doing this podcast because, you know, they're very far, they're few and far between um, the, the number of people who actually get this stuff and can um, uh, have the imagination to say, okay, I, I can see the application of this over here. Like you don't have mm-hmm. you know remember when help authoring tools first came out even before before did it became oh, yeah. a standard. And mm-hmm. so we were using like I was using a help authoring tool to manage my resume components. like it wasn't meant for resumes, <laughs> but I could see I could see that you know oh, right? For proposals. For proposals, why not? You always have certain boilerplate things and then you have custom things and you can mix and match and then you, you output to work. Boom, done. Like, you know, it, it doesn't have to be for online help. So people miss mix up content types with content genres. So like a, a proposal is a genre and a, a mm-hmm. resume is a genre. It's not a content type. A content type is a schema. So like event you know a microformat mm-hmm. right that's a, a content type is like a schema or a microformat so when you get content types that's completely different from the genre and so when somebody says to me you know as somebody did in in my last job oh that system that's just for technical content it's like no it's for content that you need to scale <laughs> right mm-hmm. so it's like it's not about it's not about the genre it's not about you know an api is a genre it's also a schema mm-hmm. to an extent, but it's a genre. So if you have that genre, it doesn't matter which genre you plop into this thing. It's when you need to do X, Y, and Z, when you need to scale, when you need to reuse components, when you need to, to be able to do content references and, and content reuse. Those are the things that matter. So you you measure based on those needs, not on which kind of genre it is. <laughs> yeah.
0: If oh, that really makes any sense? Yeah. And that, that's no, it does, because we're actually taking some of the marketing content that's in our CMS that teams provide, and we're making that, you know, markdown too. So it's all pulling from one source essentially. So the yes, assets basically single sourcing everything based, and then different templates display different stuff based on the content type. So yeah, yeah. and it's just fun. Exactly. I just love this stuff. I'm like, I tell my, I don't know what this role is, but I love doing whatever this is I'm doing now. I love it. So. I don't care what they call me, just I just let me do this stuff and it's great. And it's, you know, like I said, I just it's just even senior management's buying in and the firm has a history of poor documentation. And when I transferred from my prior division to the engineering division the people I know in engineering, like, thank God the documentation is an afterthought here and we really, really need some help. So, you know, it's been, you know, it's been a big confidence boost the past year. Um, and I'm hoping that a lot of other people are seeing that too. Are you seeing you know why or are you seeing more interest in documentation i guess is my question
1: so it's, it's not so much documentation because i'm okay there there's uh, you know there's tech comm stuff mm-hmm. there's um uh product content so in product content so if you have an app okay. the app is your product right and then there's you know kind of marketing content and i've worked in all three areas and sometimes I, and more often than not now i'm working across all the areas where it's like we need this for marketing we need this for product we need this for technical and so when i'm looking at this now i'm looking at all the way across and so we're looking at different things for different areas so is there more uh interest in documentation i would still say that generally the feeling is that well our engineers can write the the api documentation and um that's kind of where i go like okay let me know how that's working for you when your biggest client is (laughs) complaining that um you know they can't integrate anything because the documentation is so sucky and you're losing business over it so you know come come to me when you feel that pain because I, (laughs) i i kind of say that content strategy is kind of like selling roofing in that you know you can go and speak somewhere and they'll be really happy to hear you and like, oh, that's a very smart lady, but my roof's not leaking. And it's when the roof is really starting to leak that that's where they go, where's the name of that lady we hear talk at the conference? And that's kind of where, you know, that disconnect comes in. So is there, you know, yeah, but it, for the in product, so content heavy organizations where, um, mm-hmm where nobody's going to come into an office and that's more and more right now because of, you know coronavirus nobody's going into an office they're mm-hmm. going online and they're interacting with your organization online so when that becomes the mm-hmm. primary um you know your product is content and you have to deliver up content as a service basically then there's that interest Mm-hmm. Mm. of like okay we have to do this better because we've got um so i'm working with an organization right now um it's part of government actually where you know they have a good number of content designers and then something happens you know and um, this year it was brexit last year it was something else you okay. know, and then it was coronavirus and all of a sudden you you have this surge in content so what do you do you hire a bunch of people And so you hire a bunch of people, they come in for three months and it's not easy with government because the first thing you do is you have to get them a security check. You have to get them, um, a laptop because they can't work on their own laptops. You have to, um, get them an iPhone because you need it for two-step authentication. You have, they, they have, they spend their first week taking all these mandatory training things, and then you start getting them working and then they work for three months and then the contract's over and they leave and they walk out the door with all that knowledge. And then you go back to you know all your manual stuff, and then something happens and you need another. So um, when you have that and content is your, that's the product, all of a sudden you're going, how can we do this better? How can we do this more efficiently? How can we do this faster? How can we have our people um, not acting as slow computers? Because when you have that thing of somebody's going, okay, now I'm going to, get an email attachment. And now I have to download that email attachment. I have to rename it. (laughs) I have to create a space for that document. Then I have to upload that document to the SharePoint. Then I have to create a spreadsheet. And now when somebody signs it off, there's that email back and forth. It's like, you know, you're talking 25, 30 steps there. And then how, you know, the person uh, um, approves it in an email. And then you take the screenshot of that email and you store it. In the Excel spreadsheet that goes in that same folder for that piece of content, right? And and this isn't I'm not talking specifically about the government here. I'm talking about you know the last five places that I've gone to and I've seen this, and I'm like, Really? Are we in 1985? Like (laughs) Back to the Future wants their car back. Um, so when you look at that and you kind of go, that's really like a slow computer because all those 25 steps could be collapsed into, I log into the system, I type my stuff, I hit uh, I hit send to workflow, it goes to the reviewer, they click on a link, they review it, they go, oh, it's okay. They hit submit or approve, and it goes back to the person with a little link that says now approved, and then they go submit for publishing. Done, you know, four steps, five steps, instead of 25, 30, 45 steps. And so when you're using people as slow computers, you go, you know what? You don't have to hire another hundred people. And there was one company where it was like literally 99 clicks to get an image onto the website at an e-commerce place where they had over, um, uh, over a hundred thousand products and they were gunning for half a million products. Right. So it's like, if you have 99 clicks, that's really a lot of wasted time. That person could be doing so much more value add stuff elsewhere. And then when you have a surge, right. okay. So they work a little harder. they don't have all that like drama and people in and spending and budgets and so on and so forth. It's just like, okay, we've got a surge and then we go back and a surge and go back as you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, easy if you if you see it and you have like like I have you know and probably well you're not as old as me but let's say that you know 30 some years in content and you see it, it just looks crystal clear it's like walking into the doctor's office and they go oh yeah you know <laughs> broken leg you know, they, they, they can, or, you know, that's probably too obvious, but, yeah. you know, when they, when a patient walks in and they go, oh, you know, I'm going to ask the questions, but I think I know what's wrong with them already. And so, mm. you know, you get that thing in content where you look at it and you go, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And you can ask the questions that way. like, do you have a problem with this? Yeah. A problem with that? Yeah. And you mm. can kind of diagnose the Quite quickly, and because we've all been there for so long, we've seen all these things, and we know what the problems are. it's not rocket science, but you you just have to have that deep experience, and they don't even realize that, that there is an alternative like doesn't everybody use fifty spreadsheets to manage everything and you know copy and paste um, images of emails as proof of audit trail? You go no, no.
0: Everybody does. <laughs> it's like that adage. Yeah. No, a, a brand. Brand. Yeah, no, Exactly. No, no. Exactly. Was, this is so you know. I've like, got 20, everything looks like data. Field. Yeah. So I, you know, so I've seen quite a bit of stuff, and it turns out, ironically, that the first job I worked with, I was there 13 years, and they were they, were able, they implemented a. Uh, Data uh, source um, content management system. It turns out I found out a year or two ago mm-hmm. that they're still using that system, have never upgraded it. And now what they're doing is actually taking the content when they're done with it and pasting it into the company's content management system separately. So, you know, those 99. Oh my God. And I'm like, yeah, is this, you know, and this is, I've been out of that. I've been out of that.
1: Have they not heard of those three magic letters at API? <laughs> I, Uh, I know. I know. I know. These things things are painful.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. A a friend of mine told me this story a long, long time ago. She said, you know, when her son was little and she would take him out of the bath, she would um, have him stand up. She would wrap him in a big towel and she would stand him on. She'd close the toilet lid. She'd stand him on the toilet so it was easy to dry him off. And he's 15 and she happens to walk into the bathroom. He hadn't locked the door and he's standing on the toilet lid drying himself off. And she goes, why? And he was like, you always stood me on the toilet lid to dry me off. (laughs) You go, why? It's because you were short, kid. You're not short now. (laughs) Get off the toilet And I remember laughing at that and thinking, yeah, like a lot of companies, that that's that's what they're doing is like that's we a, yeah. did it this way. We don't know we don't know what to do. So we're just going to do this workaround and then we have a workaround for the workaround and a workaround for the work around for the work around and then you're cutting and pasting stuff into a, into a content management system. It should never be. That should never be.
0: Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's just, you know, I guess, I'm like sorry, said, I'm I, I, oh, I No, believe me, this show is all about ranting, Rahel, so this is great. Uh, but, you know, it's like you said, it's like when you looked up behind the cover to see the mess up there, because, like you said, this is the way we've always done it, or they just simply don't know any better. You know, I'm sure there's lots and lots of exactly there. But I guess they take some time, like you said, to present themselves like, oh, come to me when you know this is a problem, and I can help you. Exactly, <laughs> it's just crazy. But it shows how far we've come, I guess, and how far we still have to go. But um, you know, it's interesting going back to the uh, brief history of, or uh, uneven history of content strategy. How long, but you know, you did and you went all the way back far, and it's like, wow, you know, you know, I knew like the, the genesis of did and all that stuff, but you know, the whole thing. And what's really impressive to me is how many women have been driving this field. And at my first job, I was. You know, I was in a team of 30 people. It was the department was led by women. My first manager was a woman. Um, and it was just all women. So it was always, you know, for me, being in Techcom and Contest Strategy, it's always been a an inclusive, I guess, kind of field. And that's what I with my podcast. I've tried to have diversity in, in 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 all forms. So that way everyone's represented. And it's just okay. interesting to see the influence of women like you and Christina Alverson, um, you know, Erin Cassane, Karen McGrain. Uh, Sarah wachter Betcher—all these people that I've looked up to and read books and have been inspired by. So it's just really cool to see that all in one place. Like, holy cow, there's all these awesome women who have done all this awesome stuff to get us where we are in this field.
1: Well, writing has always, I think, been uh, uh, especially kind of corporate writing. Not, uh, n- I'm not talking about journalism mm-hmm. or, or you know, broadcasting. But I'm in corporate writing. I think there's always been kind of a, you know, the pink, a pink ghetto in a sense, you know, the, so there's been, um, you know, you go to an SDC conference, for example, it's going to be probably 80% women. So we've always been there. And in, um, I was reading about women in, in programming and how in the early days, it was more women than men. And then somehow, mm. it switched because they, um, a, a consultancy was hired to look for like how to, how to recruit faster and what, the, um, oh, what were the uh, kind of good qualities that you would have, you know, personality traits that you would have. And basically they were um, describing what we would say in today's terms is, is guys with Asperger's, like men with Asperger's is what it came down to uh if you, because of, you know if you t- take a look at the things yeah it's like uh people that don't mind and, uh, kind of repetitive tasks they are very routine oriented they're um thick-skinned that you know like there's certain um you know they don't care about social <laughs> i can't remember what the whole list was and if i can find the article i can send it to you it was on um medium somewhere and so um it started to be this industry that self-selected for um for men of a certain kind And I say men in a certain kind, but that never happened in in content. So content uh, remained Mm -hmm. the place where women, um, you know, and if you look at even um, uh, children um, in children, in girls, um, their their communication centers develop uh, earlier than boys and so on and so forth. So I think. Uh, girls are more encouraged to communicate and, you know, talk through their feelings. And so they become very agile at communication in a way that um, uh, boys aren't encouraged to. So I think there there might be that kind mm-hmm. of um, self-selection on the other side. And I don't want to say that as an absolute, of course not. You know, there are lots of uh, men in our field, but there are, um, yeah, there is a, a, a significant number of, of women in uh, in that field. And it, people like Scott Abel, I think are, and Nazarbina are the exception mm-hmm. to the rule rather than to, you know, um, we don't see as many of them, but, you know, they make their marks in other ways. Like Scott Abel is the, you know, the, um, uh, you know, the, the celebrity or personality, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to denigrate it by saying like, he's, He's the Kardashians of our field. But when you, in, in a way, it's like, why do we follow Scott? Because he's really smart at what he does. But it's because he's the personality. It's, it's not like the, um, right. not like following Anne Rockley, who's the very soft spoken, but, you know, uber genius of, of the content um, operations world, right? Scott's going to kill me if he yeah, ever hears he this. He may have to cut that part out.
0: <laughs> That's right. He's been on the podcast. No, but I, I
1: adore him. Scott. Okay, no, I, I adore Scott, yeah, and I think a- he's really, really smart. And I think he's done more for raising the profile of tech comm, um than anybody, any other single individual. You know, he's just really always yeah. kind of dug in and and pointed out a lot of things that. um, other people overlook or reframe things in ways that are more commercially viable. And so I really appreciate that about him.
0: Yeah. I should uh, put in a mention for Ann Rockley because she is, you know, really big on this. And it's incidentally, I was doing some hard drive cleanup the other day and I have a file open Ann Rockley content strategies, STC meeting 1019, 2009. So, and she's talking about content analysis, Uh, metadata is often the forgotten task understanding needs of users, taxonomy, all this stuff. So, you know, so definitely, you know, a lot of pioneers, a lot of people that I've learned from and, and been brought up on their shoulders. So I thank all of you, you know, all of us in the field. But as you know, it's just great to see, you know, how diverse we are, especially when there's been talks of misogyny in so many different places. You know, I always felt like this is an mm. inclusive, inclusive industry, and I'm proud to be part of that. So uh, Rahel, I know we're, uh, we're close on time here. So you know, I just wanted to ask you, you've done a lot of talking about what you do with content and your career and how it's been part of you you know part of your life for a long time. but what do you do or what do you talk about when you don't talk about content strategy
1: <laughs> I don't know i I'm, I'm I'm pretty laid back um, yeah I read somewhere that uh, well this is part of my my um, the the entrepreneurial course where they said your passion is your life right Mm -hmm. you 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 don't have kind of a job you don't have a job that pays the bills so you can do other things you know you this is this is your passion and in a way that's the case so often as not i'm talking shop with with friends of mine and, and, and so on, but outside of content strategy, I mean, I'm, I love to read. Um, I love watching films. I love going to theater. I'm a big fan of the arts. I have subscriptions to all sorts of, um, memberships to all sorts of museums and art galleries and so on and so forth that, you know, I can't go to right now but <laughs> to go back. Um, I, um, uh, I play Scrabble every day. I, uh, that's that's my one little diversion um love gin. love dancing um I'm still raving um it's not as often as I used to and I'm more likely to go to an early morning rave than a nighttime rave but you know I I, (laughs) I enjoy it uh, yeah just um exploring exploring life and and um and enjoying life. I, I, part of the reason I decided to stay in the UK is because I'm so close to so many cultures. And I can, uh, you know, in Vancouver, you get on a plane for an hour and you end up either in the bush, in the Pacific or in cowboy country, like some, you know, rural somewhere either in the US or Canada. And here you get on a plane for an hour and you're in France and Spain and Belgium and Germany and Austria, you know. <laughs> can you can experience so many different things and right on your doorstep and so um that's kind of my passion is is um cross-cultural stuff and you know i'm looking forward to when we can travel again because i had on my list to go to kenya and south africa and um i want to get there before
0: yeah it's not that far yeah i can imagine but yeah i was we were my wife and i went to we were in Europe two years ago. I picked up my BMW at the factory in Munich and then we drove to France and Ooh. Amsterdam and uh, Belgium and Brussels. And it was just, you know, just like you said, just an amazing trip Being able okay, okay. I just paid a toll and now I'm in a completely different country. It's just crazy. So yeah, it was amazing. And just, <laughs> yeah. I miss travel. I miss concerts. I miss going to concerts, although I've been watching a lot of concerts at home and it's been fantastic, you know, and just like, this past week, we watched something about urban farming in our in our state. And it's just crazy, like turning um, you know, oh, turn cool. empty lots into community gardens in Newark, which is the largest city in New Jersey. It's just, you know, so all these different things that I've exposed myself to in the past year, you know, I miss, like I said, I miss going to shows. There's nothing like being at a concert, but be able to sit home with my own beer on my couch and not have to drive home or catch a subway home after it. It's been exactly. fantastic. So, and I've been seeing more content. And because formless, I'm short. Sure. <laughs> because I'm sure I would
1: go to a concert and the only thing I would see is the backs of the people in front of me because you know, they're taller than me. So I've been enjoying concerts at home and I've watched all sorts of things that I might not have other right. otherwise watched because I can actually see the performers.
0: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I try to be, I'm a little tall, so I try to be considerate, but yeah, there's only, wow. Well, I didn't even think about that as a a person of, so the first experience. of height, you know, you're going to think about first how to experience a someone who is shorter. So that's that's great. That's a, well, Rahel, this has been awesome and even more amazing than I thought it was going to be. So uh, I just love talking to you. Thank you so much for your time um, and thank you for sharing everything, all your experience. Um, it's great that we're on similar tracks here. But I, uh, you know, again, I'm going to thank you because you've been a huge influence. Um, to me, and I'm sure to many people who are listening to the podcast. So thanks for all your years of guidance and being just just an awesome person and an awesome steward for our for our field.
1: Well, thank you. Um, you know, it, it means a lot to me when people come up to me, and this happened at the last conference I was at in the U.S. where someone came up to me and she said, you have no idea how much of an influence you've been on my career. I've I've gotten um, two promotions and tripled my salary since uh, in the last five years. And I'm like, whoa. (laughs) And and when you're sitting there kind of working on a book or on an article, like the, you know, the Mm. um, uneven history of uh, strategy, and you're thinking, I like, I'm doing this because I feel compelled to do it. And you don't know what effect it has on people in the world afterwards. Right. Like it, it could mm. land and just go flat or, or somebody could pick mm. it up and find a few good tips in it, or somebody could say it changed my life. I, so it, it's nice to know that it's, it's doing good out there in the world, if you know what I mean. And so mm. I appreciate you, mm. you know, saying it um, because um, that's what makes me want to keep doing this stuff. And, and, you know, I'm, I, um, uh, I've got a very overdue book out now on content <laughs> operations, uh, but that's what compels me to keep working towards it because, you know, I think it's needed out there. So I appreciate it. And I appreciate being on your podcast. It was fun.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that book whenever it comes out. So, <laughs> but Raquel, where can we find you <laughs> online? What's the best place to uh, to reach you?
1: Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Rahel Ab, and you can find me on LinkedIn um, under Rahel uh, Rahel and Bailey, and um, I'm on Instagram. But all I ever post are pictures of uh, food and sunsets. Really. Oh, darn. Sunsets <laughs> so over the tips. <laughs> Um Yeah, mainly mainly on LinkedIn and, and Twitter, uh, and mm. um, you know you can. Find me at uh, various meetups and so on. I do have a a website. It's um, you know, <laughs> as I grow um, uh, older, I find that I'm not as um, uh, compelled to spend every weekend updating it. So, um, <laughs> you know, there aren't any blog posts on it yet. But I do have a few resources. I actually redid the the, the content quad, which I haven't really announced yet because. I need to have some blog posts and some other things on my site before I do that. But um, yeah, I'm I'm enjoying kind of um, sharing some of the things that are um, old, um, older resources, but kind of updating them and resharing them. So uh, you can find me there as well. Content seriously.
0: So it's contentseriously.co.uk. Oh, awesome! Yeah, the reason I created podcasts because I didn't want to create blog posts all the time. So it's work that. (laughs) (laughs) good on you yeah well thanks again Rahel it was great talking to you Uh, so everyone go out there and create some great content